Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Listen, uh, if you're new with us, we're on week number three of a series that we uh, called Hooked, The Lies We Believe. Just want to kind of level the playing field. We've all been hooked at some point in life, right? We've all been hooked by something that we thought was true, turned out to be a lie. We've been hooked by uh, self-lies, social lies, um, uh, marital lies, relational lies. We've been hooked by uh, religious lies, possibly, and things that we've held as true. These are lies that distort and deceive and shackle us and really uh, they keep us from stepping into the people that God wants us to be. And we've all been there at some point in life. And so in this series, we are looking at how can we spit the hook and how we can swim toward truth. Because as we've been saying, truth matters. And here's why. Because what I believe to be true influences what I think, right? And what I think influences what I do, what I do relationally, what I do morally, what I do materially, financially, uh, and how I live spiritually. So what I believe to be true, even if it's not true, a lie carries the same truth, uh, the same weight as truth for the person that believes that lie. So what I believe to be true influences what I think, and what I think influences what I do, and what I do sets the trajectory for the rest of my life. So uh, living under truth instead of a lie is extremely important. So we said on week one, we kind of set a foundation out of John 10. And Jesus tells us that there are two voices that are competing for our attention. And he says one voice is the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus says he is the good shepherd. And the other voice is the voice of our spiritual enemy, Satan, who seeks to take from you everything that the good shepherd wants to give to you. And Jesus says, depending on whose voice you follow, the result is drastically different. He says it like this in John 10.10. He says, the thief's purpose, right? The voice of the thief is to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose, the voice of the good shepherd, is trying to lead you to a rich and a satisfying life. Here's what Jesus is saying. The life that you desire, and nobody wants a life of perpetual heartache and sorrow and pain. The life that you desire, the life that I desire ultimately comes down to whose voice we decide to listen to. In the 6th century BC, Chinese military leader uh, Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War, and it has influenced military leaders ever since. In that, uh, his writing, he wrote the phrase, know your enemy. Well, there's some truth in that spiritually as well, that we would know our enemy, and Jesus explains what our enemy is like. He says it in John 8, 44. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. And he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Jesus says there's two voices competing for everyone's attention. The voice of the good shepherd and the voice of the thief who will lie to you to lure you away from the truth and in doing so will steal what the good shepherd is trying to give. Week two, We address this idea that my past does not have to determine my future. And I asked the question, how does God respond to our uglier moments in life? How does God respond 
to my moments of greatest regret. We asked in light of that, what does God think about you? We kind of put it in a tongue twister. We said, uh, 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 what do you think about when you think about what God thinks about when he thinks about you? What do you think about when you think about what God thinks about when God thinks about you? And we get hooked on this lie because often we think what God thinks about me is based upon my ugliest moment or those moments that I regret in my past. And so we live in this lie that traps us, that says things like, God is perpetually angry with me. And we live under this lie that, that, that I must have done something to make God hate me. Or, or we, I hear this all the time, that I deserve what I'm going through because of my past and God is now getting even with all, for all the things that I've done. But then we looked at Peter's life and in his ugliest moment of denying Jesus, we see how Jesus responded, stepped into Peter's life, not to condemn, but actually spoke forgiveness because he would not allow Peter's ugliest moment to determine his future. And that is true for us today. That he will not allow your worst moment to be what determines your future. And so today we're going to look at another lie that has the potential to hook us. But before I give you that phrase, I want you to rate yourself. I want you to rate yourself 1 to 10 on how often you feel overwhelmed in life. 1 is I never feel overwhelmed and 10 is I pray daily for Jesus to just take me home. Right? Rate yourself. How, now, who can be honest to say, uh, uh, feeling overwhelmed with life, I am at least a five or above. Who can say that? Come on, don't be, don't be shy. All right, look how many hands are up. Who can say, I am a one, I never feel overwhelmed, ever? In the back, do you drink heavily? Is that what your secret is? No, I'm joking. Nobody raised their hand. I was just looking at the door. The truth of it is, is the majority of us feel overwhelmed with life. We feel like we're stretched too thin, we're worn out, knocked down, beat down, running on empty. And the thing of it is, in culture today, it has become the acceptable norm to feel overwhelmed. Matter of fact, many of us place ourselves in a position to be overwhelmed because it feeds something in us. Something in us that says, look how busy I am, look how much I'm accomplishing. And for some, if you're not on the edge, if you're not at your tipping point, you don't feel like you're accomplishing much, and so we place ourselves because society has told us it's acceptable to be overwhelmed and at the end of your rope. And so as it is with many issues, the Bible speaks to us about this idea of living overwhelmed lives. So let's pray. Lord, we're going to look at a topic that really affects all of us because we've all been overwhelmed, and the majority of us would say, a five or above, and many of us would be pushing seven and above. And so we ask that you would speak to us through your truth on how you want us to live in a culture that says being overwhelmed is the norm. And so would you step close to us as we step close to you? Would you show yourself to each one of us here? Pray that you would show yourself to maybe the one who feels distant from you, the one who maybe feels that you're, you are angry with them. Would you speak over them your desire to bring mercy and not judgment? Your desire to bring joy. Your desire to bring peace into our lives. And for the offering that we receive, that we as a church would represent the things of heaven well in our schools that we are a part of, in our community, and 
the ways that we represent the hands and feet of Jesus and the children that we uh, speak to and offer life-changing hope to them and the women in India, uh, that we would represent the things of God well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start by looking at the story of Moses in the Old Testament. And Moses was leading at this time possibly some two million people, right? He was bringing uh, children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. His problem was is that no matter what he did, no matter how hard he worked or what he tried, there were some two million people who were constantly complaining and always wanted him to do more. And so the, the, on one occasion, the stress and the pressure of life took its toll, and Moses went off on a rant, and he directed the rant towards God himself. Here's what it says in Numbers 11. Moses heard all the family standing at the doorway of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses was also very aggravated. Now, parents, you get this a little bit uh, when, when, you know, especially at the end of summer, it doesn't matter what you do, how hard you try, sometimes your kids are always complaining about something. Well, this is kind of where Moses was at. They were, all the people were complaining. And so Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me like this? Right? Why is your treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? I've actually said that prayer, but I substituted people with children, oddly enough. Now, he said, you can laugh at that because I know if you're a parent, you felt that way too. Now, he said, did I give birth to them? Which I didn't, so I could say this prayer. He said, did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? And he said, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land that you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people, right? They weren't satisfied with the manna, a bread-like substance that God was giving them. And so they wanted meat. And Moses is like, where am I supposed to find meat for two million people? And he said, they keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. And the next part, listen to what he says, because we can all relate. He says, I can't carry all these people by myself because the load is far too heavy. And I'm guessing that we've all said something similar to this at some point in life. That the load is too heavy, the weight is too much to bear, I can't do this anymore. We've all been there. And I love how Moses ends his rant. Look, look at this, because I've said this. He says, if this is how you intend to treat me, then just go ahead and kill me. Have you said that? It's like, God, if this is what my life is, just take me out right now. I'm done. And so Moses is like, look, if this is what I got, then just kill me. Because life can be extremely difficult at times. It doesn't take us long to figure that out. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, life is difficult. Let's not pretend it's not. Matter of fact, uh, seasons of life can be extremely painful. And companies prey on this desire that we all have uh, to find peace and tranquility. And so they market products that guarantee this peace and tranquility. Back in the day, dating myself here, uh, there, is, uh, there was a, a commercial that said, Calgon, what was it? Take me away. Like this is, life is so chaotic and so stressful right now, I, I'm just going to get in a bathtub and I'm going to float away, right? Well, and so, I mean, that, that's kind of what, what, what life feels like. Here, here's a product here. This is uh, an oil diffusing necklace that they say just a few drops of your essential oil will keep you peaceful, calm, and serene. 
Now the rest of us are dying, but you will be peaceful, calm, and serene. Now, they, they have stress relief tea. They have aromatherapy candles. Look at this one. This is a real product. This is a bedside projector to make you feel like you are at home under the peaceful waves of the ocean. Now, look. This is what I'm thinking. If I wake up at 1.11 a.m. to this haze on my ceiling, I'm thinking it's a portal from another dimension and someone's coming to get me, right? That's what I'm thinking. That's not peaceful to me. But they, they market all of these ideas because all of us are craving some kind of peace, some type of tranquility. And it's become the acceptable norm to be overwhelmed, stressed out, and anxious. And typically, when we're in this season of life, someone will come along and they'll say this lie that has hooked many of us. And when life is at its worst, they'll say something like, Just hang on, because God will never give you more than you can handle. And you're like, well, that just solved everything. (laughs) God will never give you more than you can handle. And it sounds true-ish. It's like some of us would say, well, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. But truth is, the Bible really never says that God won't give you more than you can handle. Chances are we're misquoting another verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10. We'll put it on the screen there for you. It says that the temptation of your life are no different than what others are experiencing. And God is faithful that he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So that no matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what temptation he brings to you, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to stand under. But even in that temptation, he has provided a way out, right? That's the the Jesus coming to us, giving us victory over sin. And so what could be said is when somebody's about to sin or falling in or making a sinful decision is to gather around them and say, hey man, listen. This temptation that you're facing, God will not tempt you beyond what you're able to stand, and he has already provided a way out from this temptation. Let's get that way out and take it together, right? But this idea that God will never give you more than you can handle, it's not in the Bible. And here's the problem with this. It communicates the idea that when life is hard and pressing in on all sides, that you just have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you yourself have to figure out how to get through it. And if you can't stand under the pressure, there's something wrong with you because God will not give you more than you can handle. And it kind of just pushes that that weight and that, that pressure on us. So let me help you spit the hook and give you some truth. The reality is, is that God will often give us more than we can handle often will give us more than we can handle. Because from God's vantage point, it's not a bad thing when I get to the end of my rope. From God's view, it's not a bad thing when I've exhausted my resources or when circumstances are outside of my control and it causes me to come to a point of submission and total dependence on God. And God said, that's actually not a bad place to be. And so at times, life will overwhelm you in order that God may get us to a point of submission and try to teach us things on how we function when life is overwhelming. So for the time we have left, I want to just look at three things that we can learn when life is too much. The first thing is this. The first thing is to put something down. Sometimes in life, we have to learn to prioritize what is most important. Years ago, I was in Vegas for a conference 
and me and some colleagues that were there, we were there for uh, the NAB, NAB conference, which is music equipment and cameras and all this stuff, and we were building a, a sanctuary. And uh, we decided uh, that that evening we were going to go to the uh, granddaddy of all buffets at the Bellagio. So we decided, all right, we're going to go to the buffet uh, at the Bellagio, and we just started to splurge. And if you've never been to the buffet at the Bellagio, it's the mecca of buffets. It is smaller buffets come to worship this buffet. It's that, it's that good. Matter of fact, I think they measured it to be over just over a mile long. It's that good of, of a buffet. And so there is some, there's some art to, uh, and some skill getting through a buffet that's $57 a person. And, and here's, what, here's what we learned very quickly. Twice-baked garlic mashed potatoes are some of my favorite. But if you prioritize, there's lobster and prime rib a little further down. Now, have you been to the Brazilian steakhouse? Um, what is it? Fogo de Chao or something like that. And, and it's, that's like a $50 a, a plate person. I think I've been there twice. So it's not like I, I go to these places. And, and they hook you with the salad and they have a great salad bar. But if you prioritize in a little bit, these angelic beings come to your table with these skewers of meat and they just keep piling it on you of you know, steak and lamb and chicken. If you're a vegetarian, you can go back to the salad bar. But it's just, it's just like this heavenly place, right? If you prioritize. But if you don't prioritize, you're going to fill up on the salad and then they got you, right? So life is a little like this buffet that we have to prioritize on what is most important because you can be involved. I can be involved in a lot of things, but we can't be involved in everything. And so sometimes when life is overwhelming, what God is trying to teach us is that there are some things that you've picked up that might be good, but they are not best. And that there are some things that you have to put down or you will not be able to stand under the weight that you are under. So this means that sometimes we need to stop asking, what can I do? And we need to start asking, what should I do? Now I want you to think about that in your life. If you change that question, just that, in, in that slight way, what are some things that you may not have taken on that might be slowly draining the life out of you? Instead of asking, what can I do? So start ask, what should I do? What if we substitute the word or for and? Because too often we say, well, I can do this and I can do that. And I can do that. And I can do that. But what if we substitute the word or and we can say, hey, I can do this or I can do that. But I can't do both. Or I can do this and that and that or this. But I can't do all three. What would it look like if we made a minor change? And is it possible that when life is pressing in, that it's God's way of getting our attention to saying you have picked up too much and you cannot endure under this weight? Let's look at number two. Second thing that God can teach us when life is too much is that we need to invite someone in. In other words, stop doing life alone. You've heard me say often that we are stronger together. And that means that we surround ourselves with people who can step in when life gets to be too hard. Because the weight is not nearly as heavy when there are multiple people who are enduring or carrying the weight that is on your shoulders. I have people in uh, my life, in this church, who when the weight gets too heavy, I can call and say, look, I'm struggling with you know, job hours or I'm working too much or my emotions are too raw and I'm going, over the, going you know, off the deep end or I'm struggling with depression, which at times I'm prone to do. And there are people that I can call that come around me and begin to carry the load with me. Who do you have in your life 
that you need to invite in to carry the load with you? Because some of you, you have so much weight upon you and it needs to be distributed over several people if you're going to come through this season and be healthy. But if you think you're going to do it alone, you're fooling yourself. Moses thought he could handle the pressure alone. And his father-in-law pulled him off. His father-in-law was Jethro. And he pulled him off and he said, Moses, you have to change something. That if you don't gather people around you, you will not endure under the weight of what these people are asking you to do. Look what he says in Exodus 18. He says, they will help you, right? The people that you have to get around you. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. And if you follow this advice and God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressure. The implied is, if you don't do this, you will not make it out of this and be a healthy individual. And the implication for some of us, the implied is for some of us, that if you don't get someone around you, you will not make it out of this season and be healthy because you are bearing a weight that you were never meant to bear alone. I've said that if we can accomplish three things as a church, you know, at the end of my life, we'll have been successful. If we can help you find God, find others, find yourself. Right? Find God is we want to lead you into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to help you find others, that you would find a community here of people who will support you when life is at its worst, and that you can support them when life is difficult. And that you would find God, find others, and then you would find yourself. That means that you would discover the person that God's created you to be. That you would live off of God's agenda for your life and not someone else's agenda for your life. Well, this find others part is something that we struggle with greatly in our Western culture because we're so closed off. In September, we'll start a new round of what we call regroups, where we regroup other than on Sunday. And it's an opportunity for you to begin to gather people around you who you can start to do life with. And so in September, we'll have uh, groups that'll meet in people's homes, like we always have, in a wide variety of topics. But then we're going to do something a little different. We're going to open up the church on Wednesday nights. We'll have childcare as well, so there'll be no excuses there. And we're going to have groups here in the church building. We'll have them around tables, and that will be you know, the eight, ten people that you meet with every week. And the subjects will deal with the topic of the sermon the Sunday prior. So if we were going to meet this Wednesday, we would be talking. There would be questions for you to discuss in a group about this message. What does it look like? How do you apply it to your life? What were your thoughts about this scripture? And it's really just a way that you will start to do life together. Now, you've heard me say this. You will grow more spiritually around a table with eight other people than you ever will from a message coming across a pulpit. Look, I, I, I try to give you something that's usable. But I know this to be true. Your life will be transformed in a more dynamic way if you are with a group of 8 to 10 than it ever will you just hearing a message coming from across this pulpit. And so you're going to have an opportunity. to Find some people that you can do life with together. Nelson Mandela said that one of the gifts of being in prison was his ability to go within and to think and create within himself the things that he most wanted for South Africa, which was peace and reconciliation and harmony. And through this act of intense open-heartedness, he was able to become the embodiment of what in South Africa they call uh, Ubuntu. And the idea is that I am 
because of you. It's about a community. It's about humanity. Matter of fact, Desmond Tutu, social right activist and Anglican bishop, said that Ubuntu is actually very difficult to explain in the West because the West is very isolated in their relationships and they're very closed off. But he says in, in South Africa, what it means, it carries with this idea that my humanity is inextricably bound up in yours. That who I am as a person, we are tied together. That who I am is because of who you are. And who you are is because of who I am as part of this community. He goes on to say that this, this other, other idea, he says, what I am is because of who we all are. And I love this imagery for the church. That what I am is because of who we all are together. And that we are at our best when we are together. You know, uh, uh, Basil was an uh, uh, early church father, and he said, when we remove ourselves from, uh, from community, the very thing that you need is unavailable to you. And the very thing that others need is unavailable to them. Meaning that if you remove yourself from community, the thing that you need to be healthy is not available because you have removed yourself from community. But here's the other side. When you remove yourself from community, the very thing that I need to be healthy, I don't get it either because you removed yourself from community. And there's this idea of interdependency upon one another. And that is how the church works at its best, that we are together. And that what I am is because of who we all are. Let me give you one more, something we can learn. We can... Put something down. We can invite someone in. Third one is we can give something back to God. And so let me just ask, what is it today that you're holding on to? What is outside of your control? What is outside of your ability to change, but you've been holding on, you've been trying to manage the unmanageable, and it's slowly destroying you? Maybe what you're hanging on to is a job loss. Nothing you can do about it. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a situation with adult children. Maybe it's something in a relationship and and you're hanging on to it and it's slowly draining the life out of you and all of it is outside of your control. But being the control freaks that we are, all of us, myself included, we try to hang on, we try to manage and we try to steer it and it's killing us and we're trying to manage the unmanageable and what God will say that when life is overwhelming... Sometimes you need to put something down. Sometimes you need to invite someone in. And sometimes you just got to give it back to me. Because you can't do it on your own. So what is it that you're, design, well, you're carrying that you were never designed to carry? I love what David says in Psalm 55. He says this and he's reminding himself is what I like. He says, cast your cares on the Lord that he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. He's reminding himself, life is overwhelming. He's saying, David, cast your cares upon the Lord. That, that, that Hebrew word, it actually means to hurl or to throw. In other words, what David's saying is there's too much on my plate for me to handle. There are things outside of my ability to control. And so God, here's about six things and I'm hurling them back to you and you're gonna have to catch them. And that is the idea of what God asks us to do. It's, revoiced, it's voiced again in 1 Peter 5 where it just says cast, right? Hurl, throw your anxiety on God because he cares for you. 
When I was young in my faith, one of the first passages I memorized was Matthew 11. And I was struck by the invitation that Jesus gives for me personally, for someone who was you know, already a little on edge and suffered with uh, self-image problems and various concerns. And then I read the invitation in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart. And you will find, right, the very thing you're looking for, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. You know, a yoke, it's a, the, the collar that they place on oxen, and sometimes there's a double yoke. They put a younger with an older to teach the younger, and Jesus says, hey, will you just yoke yourself to me? And the very thing that you're looking for, if you'll let me teach you, and you'll let me lead you, the very rest that you want for your soul, I'll give it to you. But in order for it to happen, you're going to need to put some stuff down. You're going to need to invite some people in. And you're going to need to turn some things over to God. We'll close in Psalm 23. Let me have the the band up, please. Psalm 23, common psalm. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he makes me lie down in green pasture and he leads me beside still water. Get the imagery. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We read this passage at funerals. But this passage, it's not really instructing us how to cope with death. It's a passage instructing us how to cope with life. And so it's not that, hey, hey, when you die, this applies. It's let, let, let's have this apply now to you, even when life is overwhelming and pressing in, that you would be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, and there is nothing that I need, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Even when I'm going towards chaos, he, he kind of has a way of pulling me back and saying, listen, I, just, I, just, I need you to rest here. And he leads me beside still waters. Because if left to myself, I'll put, me, I'll put myself right over the waterfall. But he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Listen, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not true. God allows life to press in, that he might teach us something. And one of the things he wants to teach us is that he is a good and loving God. And he wants you to hurl some things back onto him. Coming to the end of my abilities, it's a good thing. The end of my wisdom, the end of my resources, all good things. Coming to the end of something that's beyond my control, God says, that's a good thing. Because ultimately it can lead you to a place of surrender. And that is when I become your shepherd. And that is when I lead you beside still waters and when I can restore your soul. Let's have those lights come down. Lord, speak to us. 
What does this look like for each one of us today? Speak over us. What is it that we need to lay down? What is it that we need to let go of that we've been holding on to? That it might be good, but it's not best. What is it or who is it that we need to invite in? Who is it that we need to invite in and tell them our struggles and what we're going through and and maybe the, the chaos that is swirling around it? Who is it? And for some of us, if we don't have that person, give us the boldness to take this step in September and start to form some of those relationships. Would you speak to us? what it is we need to give back to you. Speak to us about our need to always control and always be in charge and our thoughts that we can manage every situation. Speak to us. That coming to the end of our own ability is actually the beginning of life and the beginning of the Good Shepherd leading us to peaceful streams and still waters. We come to the altar and we leave behind those things that are just not for us, at least for this season in life. We leave something behind. And we come to the altar committing to invite someone in someone who will lead us in the ways of godliness, who will lead us in the ways of truth, who will make ourselves available. And we come to the altar and we give to you that which only you can handle. We give to you that which is beyond our ability beyond our wisdom, beyond our understanding. And we hurl, we throw our, our concerns to you because you care for us. This week, as we feel the pressure of life pushing and pressing on us, would we take a moment to reflect? Would we begin to experience the peace that you speak of in Philippians 4? A peace which surpasses understanding. We invite your presence to walk with us this week. And so I speak over you, reveal. May the goodness, may the kindness, and may the love of our good God and Father follow you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, uh, don't leave here without asking someone to pray for you. We'll have some people up front. If you're having needs, we only get to take a moment and we want to agree with you for whatever you're going through to ask that God would step in and move. Uh, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you and I look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to have some fun next week. We look at our next lie that hooks us. I'll see you then. God bless you.